Hey, welcome to Dear Seekers. I'm your host Sasha Shaw, a former TV news reporter at Omni Television and Rogers Media Canada. Every two weeks, I visit, or more like invite myself, to an inspiring woman's home to have some honest conversations and explore the hardship, the joy, the ups and downs of being a working progress in life, as we all are. These women are soulful, honest, real, and kind enough to let me tell their stories and share their wisdom with you. Although I'm the one who asks questions, I'm also listening and learning. Can't believe we have made it to episode seven. Hoo-hoo! <laughs> Needs to open a bottle of wine to celebrate. This episode is so special. I got to sit down and chat with Danielle Supa, owner of Souvenir Studio. Her discerning eye and sensibility makes her a master at curating. Her kind heart turns her into the biggest cheerleader for the local and international artisans and makers. And her curiosity allows her to stay on the game and seek out the off-the-beaten path pieces and labels. This is a very long conversation. I thought about cutting it shorter, but I just can't, and I don't really want to either because I got a strong feeling that you may be able to take away something very good, even could be just one sentence. So if you can't finish in one go, that's okay. We all have something to do, but please come back. Okay, so let's dive right in. Let's go back to the little Danielle.、Aww. Do you remember? <laughs> what's the earliest memory you could remember that a woman or multiple women that you admire? You're like, one day I want to be her. Oh my God, there's lots. There's lots.、Um, well, obviously, like my mom, my aunt, her sister, and my nana. So、um, all family members. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So you're close with your family. Really close with my family. Yeah, a lot of、um, wonderful women in my family, and and all my sort of aunts and、um, cousins,、mm-hmm. my my older cousins. I'm the baby of my family,、mm-hmm. so I have three older cousins and an older brother, and then two of my cousins are girls. And I, because they're so much older than me, by the time I was born, I think they were. Early kind of preteens,、right. and so I thought they were so cool. So being、um, the youngest one. What was the advantage or disadvantages you had? Oh, I, advantage was like everyone wanted to be with me because I was baby, right?、Oh, or I was the, the center of the attention. Yeah, yeah. And so I was a novelty still. I was the youngest in the family, and I was I was so curious, and I just loved everybody, and in my, I still do in my family, and、um, we have such a wonderful family. I remember as a kid, I. Was always making things, and so I think that's part of the creative curiosity. Is just always mixing things together, literally. Like I remember when I was really little, I played with my next door neighbors, and I would make these kind of potions, and I would make up languages, and we would play for hours and hours、mm-hmm. and hours, just making things and doing crafts and all that kind of stuff, and putting things together. And I was always doing stuff like that. Yeah. So I think as a kid, just always. Always reading and trying, trying things and playing. And my mom always jokes about that. My brother and I were always reading, and she's, she's like, like "Don't you、kids. guys want to go outside?" And we're like, "No thanks." <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think we were, yeah, we were pretty, we were pretty,、um, we we're pretty lame. <laughs> really? No, we weren't lame. We were just really like kind of quiet kids. We really liked to, to learn. And so, what is it like growing up with older brother? Oh, 
Because I always dream to have one. Really? Mm, I never had one, so. Yeah, I mean, my brother and I are, we're always really close. My brother wasn't a super testosterone-y kind of guy. He's like sort of like a delicate guy. And I mean that in the best way, Chris, if you're listening. <laughs> He's extremely smart, super creative guy. Um, we're very similar. Like we both like music and reading. Mm. And um, I, I wasn't super, super girly. I had like girly sort of tendencies, but I feel like... We sort of were this like neutral, like not super girly, and Chris wasn't super, super like hardcore, right? You know, wrestling all the time, and, <laughs> you know, being like, oh. I mean, I don't know if that's actually what boys do, <laughs> but I, I always, I always like People sort be of like, what are you guys talking about? Yeah, yeah, I always like sort of like a gentle, a gentle man. Like my dad mm-hmm. is also like very gentle. What do your parents did? I was literally just talking about this. My parents are kind of secret creatives, I always say. My mom was, uh, they're both retired now, and my mom was a kindergarten teacher. She was a French teacher, which is sort of my, I think where I really got my love of languages. I almost went into like languages and Mm -hmm. linguistics and stuff. Um, So my mom speaks French and um, she was a French teacher and then a kindergarten teacher for most of her life, which I think takes such a certain skill because she's so good at it. My dad tried all sorts of things. Why are you I, laughing when you're talking well, about Well, because my dad, like, he's so creative. He should have, if he was born now, my dad would be, like, some sort of creative guy, like, in the creative field. But I think at the time, you know, his brother was an accountant, so he went into accounting. He's like, oh, I hate accounting. And then he tried something else. And then he worked sort of in early IT and... Um, compute. He did a lot of stuff with computers. I'm still actually unsure about what my dad <laughs> did 100%. I, every once in a while, I'm like, what did you actually do? And I don't even think my mom. My mom's like, I don't know. I think your dad. But like, I knew where he worked. He worked at Sheridan College for a while. He worked at the Science Center for a while. But you um, didn't know exactly what job yeah, he was still, doing? still not sure. But my, I think what's cool about my dad is he changed jobs a lot, um, which I think is refreshing, especially for like his generation, because I think a lot of people in his generation, they're like, you do a job and you stay in that job for 40 years and you retire, which I think is also honorable, totally honorable, um, which I don't think enough people do now, <laughs> but that's aside. But I think it's just like, you're not afraid to try something different if you're not excited about it. And my dad is always learning, which is something that I really latched on to. My dad got his master's when he was in his 50s, wow. went back to school. I think he also had an idealized vision of what being a professor would be. He wanted to drive a Volkswagen Beetle, grow his hair really long, grow a beard, <laughs> and people call him professore. Oh my god. Um, my dad is a very musical guy, he's very artistic, Like he likes to draw, and he's taking drawing lessons and stuff now in his retirement. Um, so I always wonder you know, if they were born at a different time in a different circumstance what they would have done. Sounds like your parents, your family are very supportive, like very. the creative side. Yes. So is that something you always feel lucky that you didn't have like traditional parents that want you to be, I don't know. <laughs> so, but you know what? In a trend, like Asian family, they got your lawyer or you have yeah, to be a doctor. Totally. Yeah. No, to be honest, I, I don't even know if my parents remember this, but when I... When I wanted to go into fashion school, they were supportive, but they're, I think they're just being, you know, realistic. They're like, what job are you going to get? Are you going to be a fashion designer? Like, I don't know if that's going to be something you're going to be able, 
Not that, not that they didn't think I didn't have the skill. They've always been very, very like, oh, you're so creative. You're so talented. You can do anything. Like you can do this, you can do that. But I think all of our parents just want us to be, you know, settled and have a good, stable career. Right. You know, they just worry about those kind of things, especially coming from their background that they're, um, you know, they want something that's, that, that you're going to be able to survive. Not even just survive, but to flourish, to have nice things, you know, they, they want you to be doing well. So I think they were genuinely, you know, a little bit concerned about me going into fashion design because it, it's mm-hmm. not exactly, I mean, fair enough. It's <laughs> yeah. super unstable. Right. But I think they could also realize how much I loved it. And, and I mean, university is kind of bullshit. Like, you could... What's an English degree? Right. I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> you know, what's poli sci? <laughs> <laughs> so I think fashion design, at least at the end, I was like, well, I'm going to learn how to, this really, really specific skill. Mm-hmm. And uh, if I want to do something with it for a career, that's great. If not, I've really, truly learned something. Right. Um, practical. So did you feel like the school you had was fish enough to prepare you for what's coming next? No. No. <laughs> what can we can do a whole separate podcast on Let's do that Sounds on cool. fashion uh, schooling in Canada. The gap between the, oh, God. the job market and oh, the school God. itself. Yeah, I think my my thinking with with fashion school and fashion school in Canada and my experience at Ryerson was I think school can be two things. I think it can really prepare you for super practical what's going to happen in the world, the professional world that you're going into. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think school is a really magical time. I think being a student is a magical time where you should be just, again, sponging it up, learning as much as you can, and you should be playing. You should be creative or if you're not in a creative field, thinking about ideas, Mm -hmm. especially when you're in design school. I think you should be trying so many things Maybe make a bunch of ugly things, but you should just be pumping out so much content and almost getting it out of your system so that when you do get into the, you know, real world, quote unquote, the professional world, you've had this time to really be creative and and sink into that creative exploration and understanding the creative process, um, which I feel like there was very, very little of that in our program. And then they also segregated it so much that they were thinking, okay, well, fashion designers don't need to know how to do all these things, which we were like, uh, yeah, we want to do graphic design, photography, marketing, PR. We're going to need to do all of that. Yeah, the the designer, (laughs) they don't have, they can't afford to hire those people when you're starting out. You have to be a one, one woman show. So we need to learn how to do everything. So yeah, I think schooling should be more holistic I mm-hmm. guess in its approach mm-hmm. but again it was a different time I mean that was you know 15 years ago I always say this though I think there's so many things in life that you can't necessarily explain especially with jobs it's more just a feeling and I think a lot of people are able to do a lot of different things mm-hmm. and I think things are moving towards that now, which I think is good because there's so many jobs that if you were to describe what someone does, you would need an hour because there it's not a one word profession anymore. It's mm-hmm. not like I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, I'm an artist. Like, right. it's, it's like, well, I take care of this very specific 
thing and work in this very specific way, which I think is super interesting. But yeah. it's like, how do you know that you want to do that when you're 20 years old mm-hmm. until you're presented with that opportunity? So yeah. I think it's more about giving people those opportunities to do something. Because I've always really appreciated when people have given me an opportunity to do something that I wasn't necessarily trained in mm-hmm. or had a lot of experience in. And that's something consistent throughout like my whole career that even now that I'm doing stuff where I'm like, this is not what I would call myself, but I'm going to try it because I think skills are transferable and Mm -hmm. applicable. Uh, And when someone else recognizes something in myself that they're like, I like what you're doing in this field and I think you could apply it here. I get really excited because that level of trust Mm -hmm. um, always allows that person to grow. And that's something I try to give back to other people now too. After you graduated from Ryerson, mm-hmm. and then before we start recording, you mentioned that you your first job was actually designing for tableware. Yeah. I have to say that I was debating about going into interior design or fashion design. I applied to both, and I actually had to take out my uh, application for interior design because all the portfolios were due the same week mm-hmm. at Ryerson, and they were all Ryerson programs, and they were so intense it was so much content and they all had to be separate. Mm-hmm. So I had to make, you know, 40 pieces for interior design portfolio, 10 pieces for fashion design portfolio, and then another 10 pieces for the other portfolio. I had to take one out. So I had to, you know, take out interior design. But why did you choose fashion design? I really, I really loved fashion. I still really love fashion. It's it's my number one love. <laughs> my passion for fashion. <laughs> That was literally my portfolio. I'm not, that's like not a joke. Really? We, my friends and I joke about it. I just have a passion for fashion. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I just decided, you know what? I can always go back to interiors, but I really want to go for fashion. That was the thing I felt most excited about. And that felt more true to myself, I guess. But ironically, when I graduated from fashion school, I was looking for jobs and the Hudson's Bay had a job posting for tabletop design. And so I applied for it and I got that job, which again is so funny because that was my boss seeing me with coming out of for the fashion degree and yet hiring me to do this interiors job or interior accessories, I guess. But she had told me that she felt that tabletop was the most fashion-centric category of all, other than like bedding, I would say. I don't think people really know about this, but we would do tons of collections, seasonal collections, trend palettes, um, that were all based off of fashion trends. Mm -hmm. And because we were trying to deliver five brands and um, we were doing a lot of development, a lot of design. And it's, it's also like surface design, picking the colors, how things layer together. It is very much like putting together a fashion collection. It's like hard, hard materials, though, porcelain and glass and metal and that kind of thing. So I really liked it. It was I was only there for, I think, a year um, because they they moved to Brampton and I was like, no, thank you. I was, I was literally <laughs> sorry, Brampton. <laughs> Well, you know what? Yeah. I love Brampton, but it's <laughs> just, it was so far. It. it was so far. And it then is. for me to, I was working, if you think about it from like, I'm working in at Bay and Queen in the store. Ideal. Right. Like we're working in the Eden Center. I didn't even know how I was going to get there. I didn't have a car. I, I logistically didn't even know. So anyways, that's an aside story. But yeah, it was really, really interesting. And I well, now... Well, little did they know 
the move they had to make actually lost a very important person. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Actually, it's Such funny. My, my boss and I quit together. We were. Oh <laughs> she was like, "If you go, I go," and I was like, "Okay." For the same reason. Yeah. Yeah. But um, it's so interesting now because you kind of think. I always think life is this accumulation, like a cake, like a cake of experience, and you just keep layering onto your cake. I always think everything always comes to play, which I feel like so much now is like the complete accumulation of every single experience of my life um, and continues to be that. But um, now I'm doing, you know, tabletop is a huge part of what we have at Souvenir. And I have weird knowledge now about stainless steel qualities and the terminology and, you know, bone china versus porcelain and the grade of porcelain. So there's all there's all sorts of weird things. So all that, these knowledge you accumulated from that job actually yeah, now comes in handy. Totally. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I can even educate my customer even on the weird terminology that I know right. for glasses and uh, different shapes or styles of dinnerware. Yeah, um, it's cool. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. So I, I'm glad I had that experience. Although working as a tableware designer has been such a fulfilling experience for Danielle, her love and desire for fashion was still there. I had quit at the Bay and I was also worried though, truthfully, that I didn't want to stay too much in interiors because then I didn't want to, I never, I never had a fashion job in the fashion industry. I, I was interning uh, and I had a couple jobs while I was in university, but they weren't like, you know, real person jobs. They were... There were jobs you had in university, but again, like very formative and amazing experiences. What kind of I, jobs did you have in university? I interned for Jeremy Lang. That again was an amazing experience and I learned so much and I met Jeremy's partner, business partner, Erin, is still a really dear friend of mine and she is a treasure trove of knowledge. So knowledgeable and so wonderful. And it was amazing to see like a designer. You know, we were preparing for New York Fashion Week. We went to New York Fashion Week. We we had, you know, styled the garments that we had cut out. We we did everything, um, moisturized the model's legs. <laughs> Actually, my one of my models is now like a huge model and she was just starting out. And I always remember that. Hane. Oh yeah. yeah and now she's huge. big, huge supermodel. Wow. Moisturized her legs. <laughs> fashion guys it's glamour glamorous <laughs> the glamorous side of fashion oh yeah but um i don't know where i was going with that oh yeah so we i interned for jamie Lang, and then prior to that or actually maybe even simultaneously i worked at caban hugely influential experience huge and caban for people that don't know because a lot of people don't actually know caban caban was the lifestyle store of club monaco it no longer exists hugely influential on me command for me was everything that i thought retail could be amazingly beautiful inspirational interiors a mix of everything mm -hmm. so they were doing more mix than even what i have in the store like food stuff books all tabletop furniture literally everything mm -hmm. was for sale they had developed a lot of product it represented something that was so unique for Toronto. And I asked Joe why, you know, he didn't go forward with that or what happened to it. And he said, you know, sometimes you're just a little bit ahead of your time. And I actually believe that because sometimes, especially for a city like Toronto, it's not exactly the most forward thinking place in terms of reception to like new ideas or 
that are that are generated here it's like oh what are other people doing okay maybe we can do that now but if you know Toronto sort of always been like that yeah I think he was just a bit yeah a bit ahead um but for me um so influential and I think about it a lot now like even the way that the store is um influential experience on on me for sure Mm -hmm. and then I also worked um I worked for a very small boutique called Propaganda. It's no longer there. Yeah, I've never heard of it. Um, yeah, I was on Young Street, like Young and Wellesley. And I worked for a wonderful woman, Regina, uh, who owns now Labor of Love in the East End. Mm-hmm. And it's an independent boutique. So it was great. Regina is like a master shop owner. I also learned a lot from her just in terms of her joy, her co- consumer or client customer connections. She would just meet someone one time and remember their name. Wow. Every single person that she met, always, next time they would come in. And I always try to think about that because every customer um, loved just coming to see Regina and chatting with her because she was just such a wonderful, she is a wonderful person. And she gave me a lot of fun projects to do. I did a lot of merchandising and like graphics and I painted a whole wall and she just let me do whatever. And I think... Now being a shop owner myself, like giving that trust to someone, it means a lot actually mm-hmm. that she she let me do that. And it was nice to see how someone actually runs a small boutique because I think people don't realize, you know, you're scrubbing the floor, like you're cleaning up the dust every All two seconds. Stuff. Yeah, like that's that's just the reality of it. And and you're you're paying for everything yourself out of your own pocket. So I think uh, the veneer of glamour that people see with having your own store. I mean, it's definitely a wonderful experience, but it's just, it's another space to maintain. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of maintenance. Right. Um, As you say before, it was like a baby, right? It's, like it's a baby totally. You have to nurture and then you have to take care of and give love. And then, yeah. But to extend, you have to also present your baby. You have to present your baby. <laughs> I'm presenting my baby all the time. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it takes a lot of work. Yeah. Hearing all the experiences you had in, you know, the Bay, the big retailer, and mm-hmm. also small boutiques, and now why you decided maybe I can start something on my own. Right. Well, at the time, so I worked for Joe Fresh for six years. So that's what I did immediately after the Bay. And so I started Souvenir while I was working at at Joe Fresh. I was taking my vacation time and doing the pop-ups while I was still working full-time. Pop-ups weren't as much of a thing as they are now because you have to think this was probably, this was five-ish years ago, five and a half years ago. So lots changed in that short Mm -hmm. amount of time. And so I had started seeing pop-ups. I had participated in a few. Some were great uh, and very special and some I thought were not so great. I felt like all, all the pop-up shops, even the ones that were a little bit better kind of put together, there's always some odd inclusion. It didn't have that sort of consistency between the vendors. And I remember being, and again, there's nothing There's nothing to say that what I was doing was better or anything. It has nothing to do with that. It's just the consistency. Like I remember being at a pop-up and I was doing men's ties. And then beside me, was a girl that did like baby bibs or something like that. And it just it just didn't make sense to me, right. like why you would have both. I mean, now I can look back on say, and say this. Like I was really looking for something that I could really sink my teeth into that was my own 
thing. Mm-hmm. I think when you're working for other people, I was the creative person. I did a lot of like trend direction and palettes and design and all that kind of stuff. But it was always, okay, here are 10 options. Which one do you like? Okay, you want me to change this? Okay, I'll change it again. Here you go. Mm -hmm. And it was always like, well, what do you think? Do you like this? Do you like this? And the pop-up shops, I think, were really a way for me to explore what do I like and what is my take on stuff and not having to run stuff by somebody. I think it was important to have that um, seeing through of an Mm -hmm. idea. Right. So I I can say that now. I don't know if I really realized that at the time that Mm -hmm. I was really craving that, I think. So was there a moment that you just thought, maybe I can start something? Or was it progress of like (laughs) trying to figure out something that was lacking? Honestly, it really happened so easily because the reason it happened so easily was because I kept being like, well, if I were to do what I was going to do, I do I do it this way. If I were going to do it, I do it this way. And then I started talking to a couple of friends. They're like, you should totally do that. Mm-hmm. And I am so the type of person, when I decide I want to do something, I just do it. Mm-hmm. I have to do it. If I don't do it, I get actually like depressed. I get consumed by doing something and I'm like, oh my God, my life. What am I going to do? I have to do this. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's what happened with the pop-up shops. I saw this huge hole. I saw this huge opportunity. I was really excited about it. What was the opportunity? I think the opportunity was to do something different in the pop-up scene, I think, uh, to highlight people that people had never seen before in a a format that people had never seen before for pop-up shops. I mean, we were essentially taking over a space, transforming it overnight, opening the next day, and it was completely integrated. So everyone would give me their stuff and uh, we'd put it together so they would just drop off their stuff and then the next day we would open and everyone's stuff would be out and mixed together again i'm coming at from my experience i always thought it was super weird that everyone has their little booth and their little tablecloth and then you're like right in front of the designer and you're like hey your stuff's super nice and <laughs> yeah. you're like thanks girl like and then it's just, and it's just awkward. It's so awkward <laughs> yeah, yes, and i was yes. like I feel bad. I feel bad for the customer. I feel bad for myself. Even though it's so nice to meet the designer, but people don't always talk about it. It's super awkward. It's super so awkward, awkward, right? So I wanted to... And you're like, what's your story? Oh and my then, God. Like, their so story weird. is interesting, but then now you're like, I don't really want to buy anything, yeah. but then I feel so bad and I have to walk away and then pity, it's awkward pity, because yeah. you look at me and maybe I should buy something. Oh yeah. my God. It's I terrible. totally get it. It's yeah. terrible. So that was one of the huge ideas I had that I was like, you know how everyone always says it's so much easier to talk about someone else's stuff than your own stuff. How easy is it for you to talk, oh, my friend is so talented. My friend is da-da-da-da. She makes the best stuff. Let me tell you about it. If your friend was like, hey, I make things. They're okay. Yeah. So I thought, you know, I love all of these people that I'm representing. I'm their representative it's so easy for them because they just literally have to drop off their stuff so they don't have to clear a weekend they don't if they're working full-time job like I am they don't have to worry about the timing we have a huge party and I get to merchandise it all together and and mix it all together in the way that I think looks interesting so that was kind of the underlying concept of it taking those experiences and trying something new and also celebrating sort of what I thought could be the magic of temporary retail which was like people were so confused but in the best way they'd be Mm -hmm. like what is this 
And I was like, oh, it's a pop-up. Like, well, was it here? Like, I just walked by here two days ago. I'm like, it wasn't here. And they're like, oh, my God. Like, it just, <laughs> their minds were sort of blown a little bit. Uh, and then people were like, is this a regular store? Like, it just was, the confusion for me was super fun. We would be gone in, like, four days. Right. And again, going back to, like, why it was so easy, I also, I worked with one of my dear friends, Trish, and I had, I had pitched it to her as an idea. So she had a totally different skill set than I did and was also doing more like PR and marketing type of stuff. And I was kind of telling her my idea one day, like, oh, I want to do this pop-up shop and I'm going to call it Souvenir. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you already had a name? Yeah, up. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had, I had the name very early on. I can't actually even remember not calling it Souvenir. And I don't even know. I think it literally just presented itself to me. I don't remember coming up with that name. Mm. It just, it was Souvenir. It was there. Yeah, I don't know. It was and weird. just fell, you just clicked. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so then I, I was telling her about it. We always joke about the origin story. And uh, I was like, well, you know, would you want to do this with me? And and I think at the time, too, she was in a, a job, too, that she was trying to find something more, a little more meaningful. And uh, so she sort of wanted something to, to do. And she's like, yeah, totally. And I just, I mean, that's one of the best things about her is that she just mm-hmm. always is, like, so supportive instantly. She's like, yeah, sure. And then it, that's it. Then when we <laughs> it were just a team, happened. yeah, we were a team, we we're ready to go. So I think because of that, I mean, thank God, because I would not have been able to do it by myself. Um, it was great. We divided all the tasks. It was so fun. I remember it was still one of my favorite memories like of my life is when we were setting up for the first pop-up. We just installed everything that night. And I remember... All of my friends had come from fashion school and Trish. And my one friend, he bought this huge, those like huge bottles of wine. And we all, we were playing music and we were laughing, like just laughing hysterically. And we stayed really late to, to put everything together. And it was just like all the strengths of all my friends. Like two of my friends are stylists, you know, all my designer friends. Um, and we, we styled the whole space and it was just so special. It was like such a special memory. Cause it's like the first time I'd sort of done something with my friends that, that wasn't for school. It was like, mm-hmm. actually it was for the city. Like it was right. for a project, like a creative exploration. So it was, it was just such a sweet memory. And I always think about it. It's, it's like the essence of what souvenir is, is it's community. Mm-hmm. It's, it's community and working together. A couple of my best friends from high school and they're working on the cash and then my friend is, is selling stuff and then my other friend is DJing Whoa. and then Mark, my husband, is is doing like an Excel spreadsheet. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, it's like family. You put your husband to work. Yeah, oh yeah. It's like family. It's like family affair, you know. And uh, yeah, I just think it's, I think that's truly why the space feels special or why they always felt special, but also like the true success of it, like just was the... I was continually so touched that people, people not only came, but so many people helped. Like they just wanted to be a part of it. And that still blows my mind. Even from just like the designer perspective of people, people like strangers sending me money. (laughs) Still blows my mind. Like I wrote like a really obviously like loving email being like, hey, I really love your stuff. I'd like to include it. I mean, I joke around with it with my friend Camille, who owns Canby, and she was making um, blankets. Uh, she still does, does 
these beautiful blankets. And I, when I started going through and finding people for the, the pop-up shops, I really wanted to include people I admired and mm-hmm. I, I didn't know. So I was emailing them out of the blue saying, mm-hmm. hey, I'm doing this pop-up. It's going to be like this. We hadn't had one before, so we had no right. photos. We had nothing. Right. I don't even think I had a logo. and nothing. And I was like, and also here, can you send me some money for the entropy? Not all people were just like, yeah, sure. And here's an e-transfer. I was like, my mind was blown. The trust level. And now... But what do you think is that though? Because it's got to be something that you, how you deliver or what I, you yeah. actually express that, you know, they felt like they could trust you. I guess. Like, I guess. Do you remember what did you write in the email? I should look. I still have them. I mean, I should really look because I've been on the flip side of that now. Uh, with so many people emailing me and writing something that's so genuine and so from the heart. It doesn't mm-hmm. happen very often, to be honest. But you can tell when someone takes the time right. to... And you just have a feeling. It's very serendipitous. I don't know. I, I, I think it's very... I'm very lucky um, that people latched on and connected with what I was trying to do from the beginning and I think that really was encouraging because we realized we had something special Mm -hmm. and um, which is why we then kept going with the pop-ups when people were like oh my god that was great when's the next one I don't know and you already start building your customer base at that time yeah oh yeah yeah so some of those people are that's why that's why I always say souvenirs really been around for like five years because those experiences really yeah they really built up our clientele Mm -hmm. and some of my designers I've yeah I've been working with for five years already because we've had them since the very first Mm -hmm. pop-up and after all these pop-ups which moment did you feel like okay maybe now I can take it to the next level to have a physical store yeah I think um it's hard because I think like I said, I was taking my vacation time and doing these. So my budget was like laughable. I think it was always like a hundred bucks or something like. Wow, you made that. Yeah, it was literally That's like, very, dis- very like good. it was disgustingly low. And because I was trying to give the designers as much as I could back. Because again, I really appreciated their trust. And I really wanted it to be. We, we realized after, when once we started doing more like number crunching, we were like, we we're never making profit. And I was kind of like, wow, this is a really sweet deal for people. (laughs) I'm like, so wait a second. They don't have to be there. They don't have to merchandise it. They don't have to track the sales. I literally, they just drop all their stuff and I give them a check. I was like, wow. (laughs) When did you realize that? uh, Probably the third one. I was like, oh. So then we started, Mm -hmm. we started like fiddling around with it. But I still wanted to make it like extremely advantageous for them to do. Mm Because um, you do understand these artisans or makers yeah. or designers, they don't have that much budget. Totally, yeah, totally. And so it wasn't, it wasn't a, you know, I wasn't thinking from a business perspective. It was just a joy project. So I just wanted to be as joyful as possible, whatever that meant. And um, but I think, I think at a certain point, you know. Like I said, it was so great. It was so much sort of adrenaline and we would set up in 24 hours. And But the logistics of it, like I was storing stuff at my house. Like I had shelves at my house and like a table and and the product. And then, you know, you that sort of becomes a bit of a burden hauling it all in. And like, thank God for my uncle who used to help us and install everything. And we'd have to just make sure everyone's schedules lined up. And 
It was a lot. Like it was, it was just a mm-hmm. lot of hauling and a lot. Wait, of- sorry, I, I don't think I understand this. So if designers are just gonna give you their stuff and then mm-hmm. they pay a fee and then yep. they display, but why do you need to haul those things in your uncle's place? Because we were essentially building a store like from scratch, so all the displays. Oh. You know, the merchandising all the merchandising because we were always setting up in galleries. Galleries mm. have nothing; they have a wall. They have walls and a floor. That's right, it. Right. So to f- to make it feel like a store, we had oh. to you know have props and a, and literally I have the same table in the store right now yeah. that's from like the pop up days. And I had to have the racks and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff, like the hangers. You know, we we were like a store to go. <laughs> right. Right. Um. So because I wanted it to feel that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think having that, uh, I love the sort of temporariness of it. And I started getting into more sort of conceptual ideas because I thought, you know, what's the, the beauty of it being so temporary is that you can try something out that's maybe a little bit different or different for retail that's very specific, which is how Beach House started, you know, me trying this like concept ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I, I sort of felt like, well, not even from a logistical side, but I think I realized, well, maybe I just really want a store. Right. <laughs> like maybe that's what I want. Right. Like a physical space. Like I just want to, I want an right. all the time store. But I think, I think having the pop-up was so, uh, integral to our creation because I was like, how do I take the joy and the sort of spontaneity and the, the anticipation, because I love that so much. We loved it. How do I incorporate that into a permanent store? Because while you're capitalizing on, yes, you have, you're open, you know, 300 and whatever days a year now mm-hmm. versus eight days a day a year. Right. But why, why are people going to come now when you're open every day? Right. What's the impetus for people to come? And there's no urgency that, oh, exactly. you only exist for four days. Exactly. Right. So I think that was a real challenge that I was like, how do I filter that into a permanent shop experience? That's why the shop changes a lot and we still do these conceptual things. Mm-hmm. We do sort of pop-ups in the space. Like it's constantly changing, but I have the benefit of just you know a basement and I, I have I can just leave this stuff there your uncle and, probably very happy yeah that. yeah yeah right. very happy so but I think again that's an interesting jumping off point for a retail for a permanent retail store again no one's doing sort of the model that that mm-hmm. we're doing with these sort of integrated rotating layering concepts yeah. that rove throughout the year so right. I started casually looking for spaces, permanent spaces. I thought it would take me probably six or eight months to find a space, and I found one in like two weeks. And so I and I signed the lease by the end of August, uh, and got the keys on September first. So it was like I, I was still looking for a gallery space to host the next pop up, and nothing was coming together. I could not find a space, and we had always found spaces. It was never an issue, mm-hmm. and this one was not happening. And then I got the permanent space and I was like, I guess, okay, universe, you want me to open now. So I'm going to have this pop up mm-hmm. in my space. This is my ultimate life dream. Like I am opening a store. <laughs> that is a huge <laughs> deal. This is the hugest deal of my life, of my career, basically. When everything seems going so perfectly, the universe dropped a bombshell on Danielle. 
when I got the keys, I was with, I, I had two different or a bunch of different friend hangouts that day. And then I started feeling weird. <laughs> like I feel feeling ill. Physically? Physically ill. And then I met up with another friend after that. And I was so excited because I was like, look at my keys. Like, <laughs> oh my God. And I got super ill that night. Really? The day I got the keys. I got this weird infection and I was out. I thought I was, I actually thought I was like extremely ill. Like that's something I had like a very, it was a really confusing infection and the doctors didn't know what was wrong with me. So I was out, like completely out for about a week and a half, like completely better. And I had fever and other things like it was just bad. And I was so sad. I was so depressed because here was this. This key. This, yeah. yeah I, I literally could not do anything. And it was, it was a stage where you have to do a lot of physical work. Mm-hmm. You have to show up, clean everything, paint. Like it's just, it's like setting up a house. You, yeah. you have to, there's a lot of physical labor that needs to be mm-hmm. done, especially commercial spaces. There's just so much yeah. stuff to be done. That month was really hard because I, I knew I wasn't going to be ready. I just, it wasn't possible to do it. The way that I had designed some of the things, I had to order them and, you know, we have a 14, 14 foot shelf. I had to order this 14 foot piece of wood that needed to be cut and planed. And the guy from, you know, outside of Toronto was like, no, I can only deliver it on this day. And the lighting person was like, no, your light's gonna be, it's custom made. I can only have it done in two months. And all this kind of stuff, you're just like, okay, well, it's just not, it's just not gonna happen. Mansi has once taught us, when the universe is about to place a great responsibility on a great man, in this case a great woman, he always first frustrates her spirit and will, exhausts her muscles and bones, exposes her to starvation and poverty. Of course it wasn't so literal in Danielle's case, but the universe did drop a difficult situation in her life. But instead of letting herself be torn mentally, Danielle chose to pick herself up embrace the challenge, and turn it into an opportunity. After I got over the sadness of that, I then sort of flipped it and was like, okay, why don't I treat the space like my own pop-up space? And I'm still doing this pop-up. It's going to be way better than all the other spaces I've used because it's going to be still like super clean and I don't have to deal with other stuff Mm -hmm. that's left over from the gallery space. Like I can still set it up the way I want to, but I just make it this sort of very sort of minimal concept pop-up idea. And then we officially open in November for holiday. So then that made me feel a little bit better um, that I was like, well, this is just our soft opening concept Mm -hmm. was pantry. And then we actually opened as a souvenir and then people are kind of confused, like, I thought this was pantry. I'm like, pantry is a concept from souvenir. <laughs> you love confusing people. I love it. I, I confuse people every day. That's like part of my thing. Again, talk. it's like talking points, right? Right. I love when people are like, I don't know what this is. And I'm like, well, let me tell you about it. And then it's sort of like a weird icebreaker. But would you ever worry that it would be happening like what Joe has told you or shared with you? This could be ahead of its time. Totally, I think we're always ahead of, ahead of it. 
I've been doing trend for a really long time, always involved in trend direction. Even this year, I was thinking like, oh my gosh, are, are people going to be still into this light pink? Or, you know, <laughs> is this too trendy? I don't pick things because they're trendy. I pick things because I like them. But obviously, you're, you are having this background, you have one eyeball on things, you're like, ooh, this is an interesting wave I'm seeing that I'm intrigued by. And it's always that sort of, I believe a lot of stuff has to come down to, it comes down to luck and good timing. But at the same time, you also have to do something that you, if you really strongly believe in it, it might, uh, it might just take a longer time. And I've always said about everything, I'm long game. I am long game. I, I, this may happen in six months. This may happen in two years. And then you also realize, well, maybe I, I don't care if people like it right away. I, I, I don't, I've never been a person that's into sort of immediacy, you know, what's cool and what's not cool. I, I think um, you just uh, sometimes put your blinders on and you just go forward. And if there's two people that like it, great. If there's zero people that like it, I mean, not great, <laughs> but I think sometimes you have to do what you feel. And for sure, I think I think we are ahead in some ways. And I do need to remember that um, because... But were you afraid that people won't catch up for sure. in time for you to stay in business? Because for sure. at the end, and that's not a, a project. Yeah, and that's a genuine concern because... A lot of people open any sort of business, you know, the proliferation, if you look at Toronto, you know that what the trends are, especially in food, the food industry. You can see what's trendy in Toronto and you can see what's trendy in retail. I am happy, at least, that I don't think there are any other spaces in the city that's like our space. I think, obviously, you have to be cognizant of if you're trying something that's a little bit different, what is your sort of fallback plan on if this doesn't pan out for you from a, at a feasible business model for sure. What people don't really realize too is I'm still working full time as a designer, freelance designer. And I really wanted to keep the business plan that I sort of, it's not an official business plan, but what I wrote out was that the business is divided into three parts. So the retail is one third, design is one third, and then the events is one third. It's sort of shifted now over time and I'm playing around with that ratio. Um, but it was sort of, it made me feel more comfortable because working in retail, I don't trust retail and I know how fickle it is. So I wanted to keep the retail space very sort of, hate to use this word, but sacred and very pure, like purely what I wanted it to be. You have the space and then that is your, in line with your vision. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you're searching for the new thing. Mm -hmm. So you're always on you know, social media mm -hmm. or on a website. So how do you balance that out and then to make sure that you stay true to your vision and not being influenced by other people, what oh, they're doing? Yeah. Do you have any tangible ways to do that? It's hard. It's something I, I literally think about every day. Mm -hmm. And it's really, I think it's, we're in this really interesting time. It's an amazing time in terms of we have this accessibility to so much. We have such visual saturation um, at, at any moment of any day. We have such heightened connectivity with everybody. You can get some stuff from all over the world at any point, at any time. It becomes overwhelming. 
And I think especially too, as a retailer, you're like, what am I bringing to the table? What am I putting out there? And it always has to sort of check off a lot of different boxes for me um, before something sort of lives in in the space, in the store. But it's really, it's really, really challenging because not overanalyze, like that balance between not overanalyzing it too much. If I just, if I love it, I love it. And that's, that's really the most important thing. But then I'm always like, well, I really want this unique experience. I want people to be finding new lines I've never seen or introducing new lines. But it, it's, that's also a lot of work to be constantly searching and then like well should i have this this other place has it but i i found it we we just coincidentally both found it you know should i not get it anymore that seems weird to me too so i don't know it's just it's like a constant just checking in with myself and figuring it out on a day-to-day basis on yeah what feels good is there anything that you will check with yourself when you're actually buying things or new designers or makers are, as you say, sending your emails every day, trying Mm -hmm. to be in the store. Is there like checklist for you? Totally. Yeah. I think for me, there's a lot of things. I, I obviously, like you said, wanted to have a certain sort of look that, that appeals to me from a design perspective. It also has to be really well made. I think that's something I'm very conscious of, especially with like a design and product development background. It has to be really well done, really well executed. I am in awe of people's talent. And there are so many people in the world that they are masters at their craft. And those are the people that I really want to represent in the store. They may not be famous or anything like that, but I just look at their work and I'm like, wow, this is so well done. Because it is a design store. I'm trying to spark conversations about design and how people make things. How do people make handmade things? that don't look handmade and what's the process and all that kind of stuff. It's very important to the story of a store. As you can hear Danielle's passion, she generally is the biggest fan and cheerleader for these designers, makers, and crafters. Souvenir is like a launch pad for them. I remember one time I went to a store and then this one gentleman, an artist, um, I didn't know who he was, but he was showcasing some of his cars or whatever to mm-hmm. And I I was like creeping out your conversation because <laughs> <laughs> he was like, how much you want to sell this? Whatever you believe in, like how, as much as like anything you want to sell, I don't care. I don't yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he just, I could feel that he was really trusting in you. Right. He didn't even care how much you're going to market and then he didn't care how you're going to market. Mm-hmm. He just believed that you're going to market and market well. Mm-hmm. I was, I found that so fascinating because it didn't sound like a business transaction. didn't sound like, mm-hmm. you know, like it was a traditional way of buying right. things. It's also about you fostering other designers in your mm-hmm. space. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I found it very, very, very interesting. Yeah, it, I mean... And I'm, I'm glad you sort of picked up on that because that's so much what we do. I mean, I really, I really deeply love all the people we have in the store. Uh, and they make, they make beautiful things. But at the end of the day, I really love the people I work with, the people that we represent. And I really do feel like that. I feel like that I am their, <laughs> I'm their bookie. <laughs> I, I'm their, their rep. Um, but in a really sort of genuine loving way because I'm, a, I'm, amazed at their talent i'm amazed at the amount of time that they've put into what they're doing whatever category that they're doing 
again, I feel super honored that these designers, they do instill their trust in me. I mean, I, I respect them a lot and, and I want to earn their respect. And I've, I'm coming at it from, from a, being a designer, from person that's worked in, you know, retail and that kind of thing, but also from being a designer myself, like I've put my stuff into stores and I, I know what that experience is like. I've had amazing experiences mm-hmm. that are still some of my career highlights being in certain stores. And I know that joy that it can have. And I also have had bad experiences. And, and so I'm trying to always be cognizant of these people are, are entrusting me with their work. Mm-hmm. And how do I honor that in the best and most delightful way I can. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really important to me. It, it really is. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that fire in your eyes. <laughs> Whenever you're I love stuff. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. But on the flip side, sometimes you would, you would definitely get some of the designers reaching out to you are not necessarily in line with uh, Souvenir's vision. Mm-hmm. What kind of language you'll be using to communicate with them so they're not disencouraged but yeah. at the same time understand where you're coming from again something i've thought about a lot um we get a lot a lot a lot of um pitches for everything for product events everything in the store and i used to feel so bad i still feel bad but i think it's really important to be honest with people in a loving way because um, I think you can be brutally honest but I can you be lovingly honest <laughs> you know so I can you uh, give me a very tangible example um so one one experience was I had a guy come in he brought there's tons of stuff in the sort of apothecary area again it's, it's not a main area of our business I want to keep it pretty tight but so many people are making great things and he he brought this this item it was a, an oil body oil and I, I tried it I thought it was great and I told him he's like okay well do you want to get some buy some bottles I said honestly I think your product is great I think your packaging is not what I'm looking for and if you had packaged this differently I would have considered it more that's real like I I'm telling him exactly I'm being specific and I think that's important because Otherwise, I'm going to be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to think about it, you know, maybe next year. No, if your bottle still looks like this with mm-hmm. this type of label. And I went into like a lot of detail about what I thought. So it's very constructive. I hope I yeah. hope it is. But I'm always saying at the same time, I'm one person. I'm one store. I'm like, here's a list of a bunch of other stores. You're going to you're going to kill it in Toronto. You're going to do really well. Don't change your packaging because of me. I'm giving you me as souvenir why souvenir is not carrying this item i don't want to dance around it because right. i don't think that's that's helpful for him if he's like this is my number one store to be in why can't i be in it this is the reason i'm this is the exact reason mm-hmm. and everyone's even like this shade of green i really don't like like i'll go that detailed then then you can get the other flip side of people that are like i'm doing a line and i want it to be in this store and then they, I end up working with them from a design perspective and I do their branding because I'm like, well, if, if you want to be in a store like mine, I can actually design the packaging that I'm thinking of in my brain that I would put in the store after. So it just it just depends on what people um, want to do. If Do they want to take that, um, what I'm saying? I'm, again, I'm one person. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm also in a minority of the city. I don't think I think like 
most of the people in Toronto and that's okay with me. Um, I'm not expecting people to, to take my nugget of, of, I don't even think it's advice necessarily, my opinion. It's just my opinion. Another thing is like how you find balance of um, getting feedback from your customers mm-hmm. and then stay to your vision because mm-hmm. you at the end of the day you have to make money. But then if customers have a demand, but then don't really go well with the aesthetic of the store, mm-hmm. like it's a very tricky, uh, delicate skills. Mm-hmm. How do you do it? It's hard. It's really hard. It, it's again, I think about it a lot. <laughs> the theme of this podcast is Danielle thinks about things a lot. <laughs> That's the title of the podcast. <laughs> Overthinking by Danielle Supa, a souvenir story. Um, no, but it's true. I think, let's say I, I got a line in. This has happened. I got a line in. I really loved it. We were the first ones to have it in the city. And then a couple months later, everybody had this line. And people were still like, oh, do you have this line anymore? I'm like, well, no, now, now it's sort of everywhere. And that's not the point of the store. But that seems foolish because here I, I'm turning away customers because they want to come back and buy this again, but that's not the philosophy of the store. The philosophy of the store is introduction and getting this new kind of experience all the time. And that again is really important to the foundation of you know, the souvenir experience. like to kind of touch upon on the business and entrepreneurship part um you know recently there has a lot of like lady boss boss lady girl boss is trend going all over the place which i almost feel very overwhelming what do you see yourself as entrepreneur and female entrepreneur that you can balance between that art of being bigger but also like have that gentle mm-hmm. wisdom mm-hmm. I feel very deeply about this. It's interesting because I recently had to think about this in an actually succinct way. I'm not going to be succinct about it now, but Toronto Design Offside has this um, uh, exhibition that they they sort of run as one of their marquee exhibitions, and it's called Outside the Box. So I was the Toronto representative, so I put together the, our, our box, basically. And so I very specifically did a entirely female box of designers. And so I wanted to, we had to write a piece about our contribution and I had to write about, you know, why, why did I choose female, all female designers? And then I was thinking about that a lot, but why, why was this important to me to do it? So it was actually an interesting exercise because it wasn't so much about, yeah, like I, I know exactly what you're saying about it being like, oh, it was because it's like lady power and blah, blah. I think, oh, that's wonderful. And I, I really connect to that. I, I, all my friends are very, very strong, um, creative and confident and, or not confident and okay with that. Like it's just the diversity of women that I, I know and that I love. I'm blown away by. And I think that's what it was a lot about. It was about here is this, sampling of this amazing community of women that I feel like are so like-minded to me in that we're just doing our thing. I just wanted to to tap into that even like an ounce. And I was trying to think about like, what does it mean to us? And I talked about it with each of them. What does it mean to you to be a female designer? Is that a thing? 
Like, is that a thing to you that's important to call out? And so I thought about it, what does it mean to myself? And I think it's exactly what you sort of said. It's about, I think, this melange of forces that I think we can really capitalize on. And I think it, it really affects my relationship with other women is this idea of strength, but like a quiet strength. But then I also feel like that's bullshit too. Like why do we don't have to be quiet if I want to? I can be, I can be whatever I want it to be and at different times and, and fluctuate between the two. And that's all good. What I ended up saying about, about the female, you know, what's the female design experience? It was sort of, I definitely said, you know, thoughtfulness. I said subtlety. I think that's a really interesting word to kind mm-hmm. of think about being a female. Right. Nuances, like, you know, how do we design uh, and think in the world with just like these ideas of subtlety and nuance? Uh, curiosity was another one, again, really important undercurring and, uh, joy. What, what is, you know, the joy that comes out of this experience? We are, like you said, inundated with all these people being like, yeah, I'm a strong, you know, girl boss. And, and that's wonderful. But it's like, what about, where are these women that are just quietly doing their thing? Um, I think that's super strong too. So, I guess it's just finding your own definition, being okay with your manifestation of what's inside you. Because I think, I think that's important just in general, just to find your own way of doing things, your own voice, being receptive to those that are maybe doing things in their own way, that may be in a very quiet way, maybe in a very loud way, but working with each person uh, and and receiving them in their own way. I think mm-hmm. that's I think that's what I try to do. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can end on that note. Um, but before we end on that, mm-hmm. we have some rapid fire questions. Oh, okay. Oh god. <laughs> I love these ones. I'm not going to be concise like and an hour later Danielle answered first rapid fire <laughs> question. <laughs> I'm bad at it too. Sometimes I even comment on it. Oh. Um, okay. Are you ready? Okay. So, what's your ultimate favorite film? Can have you have you thought? only the first one already hard? Okay, but can I categorize them? Sure. Can I say three? Sure. Oh my gosh, this is so hard. Oh. Okay, I really love. I have like different camps. There's like romantic movies, mm-hmm. but also like romantic comedy. So like Sleepless in Seattle, mm. Only You. That's in like one category. I know nobody knows about Only You. I watched it. Oh my oh god. My god. The what? fashion, sorry. Yes. Sorry. What's your husband's name again? Mark. Mark? <laughs> so sorry, I'm so loud. He, okay. That movie, from a style perspective, if you ever want to do a separate show about just iconic style moments, shout out to Marissa Tomei. Oh my God. Eternal style inspiration from that movie. There are some outfits that she wears that I'm still like, I'm having a Marissa Tomei day. It's like head to toe white with like an espadrille and she has her short hair and like red lipstick and I'm like, oh my God. Have you noticed she used scarves so differently? Ugh. It's so good. I literally will watch that movie. I quote it probably on a daily basis. I can't believe it. Oh, yeah. You're the only person I know I know that movie. Nobody knows that movie. Guys, Robert Downey <laughs> Jr., Billy Zane. 
I have to say it's a bit cheesy. Oh, but it is. It's so good. Yeah, but there's so, that, good. so there's like that movie and then also um, Sleepless in Seattle. And then... Um, Which category this is? This is sort of like romantic okay. movies. And then I really love Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless, Spotless Mind. Oh, I never watched that Oh one. my God. <laughs> so, I was literally just talking about this with a couple of friends. That movie makes me weep deeply like deeply oh, deeply no. deeply i really love sad like super sad Me movies too, too especially when i'm sad oh god <laughs> like the the movie that i've cried the most is again one of my favorite movies is the fountain god it's so <laughs> sad whenever i explain it it's like uh hugh jackman is taking care of his wife rachel weiss and she has brain cancer but then another layer is that he's a spanish conquistador and she's the queen and then another layer <laughs> She's a tree and he's the guy like, and then I really like one of my favorite, favorite movies is I'm going to think of so many now when you, after you go, um, Cinema Paradiso. It's a Italian movie. It's such a beautiful movie. Um, so there's a couple of like in that sort of artsy, artsy movies. Um, I don't know. I have, I have so many favorites. I like a love sense and sensibility. You already saved maybe 10 movies already. I know. I, I can't decide. I actually, I meant to do this of like picking what my actual favorite movie is. Undecided. There's so many good ones. There just, have you watched the, the Piano Teacher? I haven't watched that one. That one is like very creepy. Mm. In almost like a sarcastic mix of like irony and, and mystery and romance like oh. oh yeah it's a lot of flavors Ooh, <laughs> i like flavors um what other categories do you um, have um i mean i really like documentaries too me but, too do yeah. you have any recommendations yeah um oh my god well there's a whole separate category of just oh fashion fashion documentaries Dior and i have you watched it cried yeah dries van Noten documentary cried they they get deep down. Even the first the first month of May, no, the first week of May, the one about the Met Gala. Yeah, cried. So beautiful. I I just it really it really gets yeah it gets deep in there. But yeah, fashion documentaries <laughs> a huge love of mine. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> okay, are we done the movie part? Okay, movie, I got- <laughs> So, episode two, Danielle talks m- more about movies. Oh my goodness, I love movies. Okay, this is all question. So. The scenario is the aliens and robots are taking over the world. Okay. And we're all going to be brainwashed out. Okay. But then they have this mercy and they say, okay, fine. You guys, each of person can remember or keep three of your memories. Oh. And after brainwash, and then that's it. And you wake up and then this is the three memories you have. Okay. I just want to preface this question by mentioning, I was just saying with this, everything that I've done in all of my work like my design work has always been with memory. It's like a, a constant obsession. My thesis project in school was about memory and how we remember someone that we love through clothing. Mm-hmm. The store is called Souvenir. It means to remember. It's like your attachment to objects and like the memories oh. that each object holds. Right. So this is like another <laughs> two-hour topic for me. I am obsessed with memory. I'm always afraid I'm going to lose my memory. I'm like obsessed with memory. So for me, I, I actually, I don't know if I'm going to be able to answer this without getting like emotional because my memories are like my most precious gifts. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I mean, I think like for sure one of my favorite memories is like definitely has to do with my husband and, you know. Not because he's upstairs? No, not because <laughs> he's just creeping upstairs. But I think, like, I could 
say so many things, but one of my favorite memories, actually, I don't even know if he really remembers this. <laughs> Mark, are you listening? <laughs> um, when, we, when we got our place and it was empty and we got our keys for the first time in, in the loft where we were recording, I made Mark carry me <laughs> over the thing. Oh, no. And so, so cute. yeah, and then um, we had uh, it was all empty, and I really loved when the space was empty. It was so happy, and uh, we had nothing. We had literally nothing. We danced around. One of my most favorite memories, I think. Um, probably, I remember very specifically the very first day that I was in the store, and I was by myself, and. Um, I was just sitting at the desk and I was looking out. I just sort of took a quiet moment and, and I was just like looking at it. I was like, yeah, I did it kind of thing. It's, it's here. That was a really amazing moment. Mm-hmm. And um, when I, I moved away by myself for a couple of months and I lived in Amsterdam and there's so many amazing memories. A lot of them have to do with being on like a bike or a, um, going around that city I remember even one time I was biking, Randy came to visit me, my friend, and we were biking at night, and Amsterdam has a lot of water. There were lights along the canals, and everything was sort of sparkling, and it was like maybe one o'clock in the morning or something like that, and we had a really fun night, and we were biking, and it was just such a moment of, I, I told her after, I was like, it's like little kid biking, and I think a lot of my favorite memories are, are feeling like being an adult, but feeling like a kid. And it's something I always think I keep in mind with um, even the work that I do is like a lot of a lot of the things I think about is like playtime. Like, well, how can I play? How can I try? And even going back to like, yeah, being curious, I think so much of what I try to do is like tapping into that inner child and mm-hmm. finding ways to be joyful and, and happy. Um, and the next question is also the same scenario. Okay. But then now it's not about the memories, okay. but it's about three truths that you feel like you can keep it to yourself or share with others. Okay. Mm. Um, one is definitely like be kind. Be kind to everyone. I truly believe this because it's such a simple thing, but I also think from a, from a practical perspective, like be kind to everybody because the world is small, actually. You know, you may come in contact with that person again. <laughs> so if you treat everyone and everything with sort of a baseline level of kindness, I think that's kind of the most important guiding principle. Um, probably a lot of my philosophy is sort of, yeah, like be a sponge. Uh, yeah, like always keep learning and um, trying. Be curious and and play play around, I think. Um and things you wish someone had to share with you, both on a personal level or entrepreneurial level? I would say things are more doable than you think. Things happen quicker than you think. Sometimes things are easier than you think. Again, me telling myself this. <laughs> things don't have to be hard. I would say to myself, um, too, is that sometimes you go on a path. You don't have to have things planned out. And I think sometimes you go on a path that's different from what you thought you would do arbitrarily, does this, am I happy about this? Then just go there. And it's always like questioning yourself and asking yourself if you like something. Um, don't be afraid of what you like and don't be afraid of what you don't like. 
um, because I think sometimes people put a lot of pressure on themselves and they're like, oh, but this is the thing I like. This is like the thing mm-hmm. I like. And maybe it's not. And that's okay. I think we were even talking about that, mm-hmm. about you think, oh, well, you're going to do this thing and it's your life dream. And and then you do it and you're kind of like, maybe I don't like this. Right. And that's okay. Yeah. And that's okay. I think, again, all your experiences layer onto one another and you can find something um, that maybe it com- encompasses all that better. Or maybe it's just a little nugget in your life that um, is part of, as I always say, one for the memoirs. <laughs> so, um, which city is overrated? Oh my God. That's a really good question. I feel like I haven't been, I feel like I'm the worst because I'm like, everywhere is amazing. I never go anywhere. I'm like, that place is amazing. Honestly, I, I mean, the only, I can only think of two places that I've been, but I also, I would like to go back there again to both of those places. Like I remember I only went to Paris one time. I liked it, but I wasn't like, oh my God, Paris is my like, but again, I went uh, as part of my trip and, um, before I went to Amsterdam and I was there with my parents. Not that I don't love my parents. I mean, I just had to, I had a different experience, I think, traveling with my parents. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't blown away considering like I have to put this in context. Like I wanted to live in Paris. That was my life dream. Like I wanted to finish fashion, like so cliche. I wanted to finish fashion school and then move to Paris for a year and that was going to be my <laughs> thing. So I think building all that up for so many years, yeah. I actually went like eight or 10 years after that. Um, so I, I think I, I didn't have this like transformative experience that I thought, but I don't think that's truthful. Like, I don't think that was making the city overrated at all. I think it's well rated. <laughs> but I, I take offense. Yeah. I, I want, like, I, for that reason, I actually would like to go back because right. I feel like there's something there for me that mm-hmm. I just didn't find. I, I found it, I found it literally in one hour of one day and I was like, Oh, okay. Like, this is what I'm, I'm feeling for Paris, but I think I would like to give it another, another chance. Okay. Um, yeah. So last question. Mm-hmm. Rapid fire is like <laughs> two hours later. Yeah. <laughs> so what you're currently seeking? Uh, I think right now it's probably balance. Does every person say balance? Probably. No, I never heard anybody say balance. Oh, okay. Yeah, balance. When you feel like there's so much you can do, you want to just do it all the time. Mm-hmm. You actually want to do it all the time. And I think it's really important um not to to be like gentle with yourself and be like okay this is what I've done for today and now I'm gonna just hang out with my friends or I'm gonna hang out with Mark or you know I'm gonna just sit here mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what? I think we just always be. just just be I really struggle with that I think it's just being comfortable with with not doing mm-hmm. or realizing that that's really important mm-hmm. and you have to you have to put back in what you're giving out all the time so I guess yeah seeking currently seeking balance (laughs) (laughs) that's it oh this is so fun it was fun oh my god you're a very lovely person to talk to oh thank you (laughs) thank you that's a big compliment seriously Thank you so much for listening, and I'm so happy to see you made it to the end. 
If you find this conversation inspiring or resonate with you in any way, please share with us. You can subscribe or leave a comment on Apple Podcast. Oh, we are also available now on Spotify. Just search Dear Seekers Podcast and meet us there. If you're on Instagram, say hi to Dear Seekers. And lastly, visit us on DearSeekers.com to see all the beautiful images taken by my dear friend Vayu Law in Souvenir Studio and in Danielle's home. She has such a lovely space. Okay, time to say bye for now. See you in two weeks. Until then, happy seeking. Thank you.